on track. Um, so when I'm speaking, there's going to be times whenever my mind's going to go a little bit blank. And so I'm just going to pause and I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. So don't feel awkward. Y'all could say a little prayer in your head for me that I begin to hear what God is wanting to say. Um, I'm a little nervous. It's been a while since I've spoken, probably a few years, and uh, I do enjoy it, but not as much as I used to. So <laughs> I was a little bit leery about even um, doing this. I had made a joke with Pastor Roy that, yeah, you know, something's going to happen. And I'm going to have to speak because he said, you know, maybe you could speak just in case. And he's like, if God gives you something, I was like, oh, why did I say anything? So he did, though. I was laying in bed and the Lord just started to download and I thought I couldn't sleep, and then I was like, oh, wait a minute, there it is. So I got up, and I started to write it down, and I know it's for this church. I know it's for today, and I'm really excited to give it to you, So, and it's for me as well. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to say I'm not a preacher at heart. That's not my gifting. My gifting is inner healing and deliverance. I love to take people from the places that have had them stuck in the past, and bring them to where God wants them to be. I love to bring out the things that are within you that God has planned for you. But so often, Satan has trapped us. Our past has trapped us. Our own thinking has trapped us. And it keeps us stuck in the past in ways that we have no idea. We don't even realize that we're responding to those things over and over in our everyday lives in the smallest and biggest areas. So what I'm bringing today is ministry. It's inner healing. It's inner healing to the heart of this church. And that's what God had shown me, that he wants to deal with the heart. And yes, for the churches corporately, but also individually. And I asked them for several confirmations, and already we've had several confirmations. Bill was talking about the individual and the group. So there's been several things. The treasure of the heart that um, Mike and Pastor Roy saw, those are the things that God's already bringing confirmation. So know that everything that I have today that I'm saying, it's not me. It's God saying it directly to you. So thank you for that, Lord. Thank you. All right, if you would all stand up, I'm going to read Isaiah 60, part of it. And the reason why I want you to stand up is not because of, uh, I mean, the respecting of the word is amazing, and obviously we need to do that. But today we're participators. We're not spectators. You're not up here watching me. We're all doing this together. And whenever I'm reading the word, I'm reading it over you. This is God's prophetic word for you today. It's for you as individuals. It's for you for your home. It's for your children. It's for your your businesses, whatever God has blessed you with, this word is for you, but it's for this church as well. So I'm going to read Isaiah 60, 1 through 5, and then I'm going to skip over to 17 through 22. The Father says to you today, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Think about that. His light has come and it's shining on each and every one of you. You're, you're his favorites today. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. That's God's character. That's his goodness. That's his perfection. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. We see that every day. We hear about it nonstop. And the deep darkness, the people. We see that all the time, all around us. You can't get away from it. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. That means when people look at you, they're going to see God's glory. 
They already do see it. You may not even realize it, but people see God's glory on you. It says, the Gentiles shall come to your light. In this sense, we're talking about the lost. And the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They shall gather together. They shall come to you. Just as he was talking, just as Pastor Roy was talking about a need that you have, there's people in your life that are lost. There's people in our lives that are hurting. It's us in some cases, in some areas of our lives. And it says that they're going to come to you. Let me see where I was. Thank you, Jesus. It says, lift up your eyes all around and see they shall gather together. And come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. And your daughters shall be nursed at your side. That's your lost children. That's your lost relatives. That's your lost sisters and brothers and fathers and mothers. Then you shall see and become radiant. And your heart shall swell with joy. Because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Instead, and I'm moving over to 17. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. And instead of stones, iron. I will also make your officers peace. And your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land. There is not going to be any violence in your homes. There's not going to be any violence in your workplace, in your church, in your city, in your neighborhood. Neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Thank you. Y'all can sit down. So one of the scriptures that I look at a lot of times and are the stories I should say and reflect on is Israel and when they got stuck in the desert. Now I had it prophesied over me one time because I was in deep prayer and anguish and, you know, always upset about something. And, uh, the prophecy came to me and they, when they were speaking, they said, you know, the Israelites, the reason why they were stuck in the desert was because of their whining and complaining and because they were stuck and always looking to the past. They're always looking at the good old days and complaining about their present situation. You know, oh, back in the glory days. Uh, at one point in my life, it's been about 10 years now, we had the 30 days of glory. We participated in this tent revival, and it was wonderful. It was amazing. And for a long time, I kept looking back. Oh, when we had those 30 days of glory, it was wonderful. God's presence was there. All these people were united. But there was a lot of junk involved with it, too. And I wouldn't go back to that time for anything. God has matured me, my family, and the people that I'm ministering with a a lot, (laughs) for lack of better terms. And I wouldn't go back to it. But if I sit there, and there has been times in the past that I've sat there and just wished I could go back. Oh, when God was doing this in my family, and when God was doing that. And remember how this happened. Well, when I do that, when I reflect on those things, or not reflect, but get stuck there, I'm complaining. I'm complaining because it doesn't look like that today. And that's what God wants to remove from us, that just because it doesn't look like God is doing something, he's always doing something. 
Are we agreeing with him? Are we thanking him? Are we giving him the glory? Are we constantly, you know, saying, God, I agree and I want to be where you have me today, even if it doesn't look like what I think it's supposed to look like? Because as long as we're always complaining and looking at the past and what should have been and what could have been, we can't go into our future. So that's like on a church level. But then there's also on our hearts as well, the, the wounds from the past, the things that have happened to us from the past. And then we can go really deep on this or you can just do it to the lightest level. But when we've been hurt, when we've been wounded, when we've gone through abuse and just seen the worst kind of things, whether it was real or perceived, it leaves these wounds in our hearts that we've got to come forward from. So we got to get to this point where when we're coming before the Lord, we begin to look at our lives and we begin to look at our hearts and not just every once in a while, but on a daily basis where we're saying, God, what is it that you want to change in me today? What lies am I believing? What am I responding to in a negative way? What am I believing that isn't true? Where am I stuck? Why am I stuck in this place? And like I said, for me, there was this one situation in my life, and I, well, I say one because I'm not going to give you all of them because we'd be here for the next week, but this one situation where God had brought these friends in my life years back, and I thought he had brought them into my life because we were going to minister together, and we were going to do all these things together, and we started having these Bible studies together, and it's just, it was awful. I, I just didn't like it at all, and every time I would just leave feeling just yuck and broken because they weren't where I was at and I kept trying to push everybody to get to where I was going and they didn't want it they weren't asking for it so when I'm crying out and I'm just oh I just can't stand this place it's awful why have you brought me here and the Lord just said Brenda I didn't put these people in your life for you to fix I didn't put them there to um to make your life so much easier and to be in ministry. They're just there for a purpose, just to be your friends, just to be your neighbor, or to be your uh, confidant in certain, you know, to spend time with the kids with. And when I begin to see that and how I was always, not just in this situation, but time after time after time trying to take people in my life and fix them and make them do what God needed them to do, it always left me feeling wounded. It always left me broken because they weren't asking. If somebody really wants God, if they really want the God within me, they're going to ask me. So I stopped going out and trying to pressure people and and slapping them with the word. And for the most part, I still do it sometimes. I don't mean to, but I do trip. And uh, when I quit doing this, life just began to flow so much easier in these relationships. People began to come to me. As soon as I quit doing it, people started coming to me. So the reason why I'm talking about these things is the the point that I'm getting to. There's two different areas here. There's the wounds from our past that God wants to bring healing to. But then there's also spiritual wounds where we've been wounded by the church. We've been wounded by past ministers. We've been wounded by um, lay ministers, whatever, whatever it may be. But they weren't who we thought they were supposed to be. And we get stuck in these areas. If pastor so-and-so or if sister so-and-so would have done this or said this, my life would be easier. But they didn't see the giftings in me. They didn't see what I was. And now look at me now. But God is saying he sees what's in us. And we've got to get past those wounds. We've got to get past those places where we have been hurt and wounded so that we can rise up and be who God has called us to be. 
Okay, so one point in my prayer, I was asking the Lord, you know, why is it that I'm on this emotional roller coaster? I was somebody that was always up and down and up and down. And I wouldn't say I'm on a, you know, a smooth road now. I still have bumps. But before it was like, oh, I was so on fire for God and then crash and then on fire and then crash. And I begin to look at this pattern in my life and just ask the Lord, what is it? Why do I get to these places of dark depression? Because I really would get depressed. And the Lord showed me and he said, Bernie, you've got to get to a point of radical forgiveness. Radical forgiveness. Now, radical forgiveness, radical, even the word is kind of a cheesy word to me. It sounds very churchy, and but that's what he showed me. And what I realized is I need to get to a point where forgiveness comes so fast that the offense never even gets there. That it's like the armor of God is so strong on me that as soon as the offense comes at me, it's just blocked. Now, to a point, I'm there. Not in my home, not with my children. That's a daily you know, a daily thing where I have to rise back up. But in the, you know, the natural, like in the church and things, I'm almost there. But in the, when I say this, my husband knows that as soon as I'm struggling, he always asks, who offended you now? What's wrong now? And then I get offended because he says that I'm offended. (laughs) (laughs) But he's right. I carry it all over me. And that's the thing about the church is that When we get offended in the church with church people, how can we walk in forgiveness with the lost? When the lost begins to come through these doors, the down and out, the tattooed people that come in that are still drunk, smoking whatever, maybe even cussing, when they start coming through these doors, how are we going to forgive them when their shocking sin is in our face, if we can't forgive our brothers and sisters, how can we do that? So we've got to get to a point where we are healed from the past, aren't responding to hurts from the past, and can forgive radically. And I'm going to talk a little bit more on why we need to do that, aside from aside from ministry purposes, because some of us might be in that place where we're like, well, I'm not even really looking to minister to anybody. You know, and that's okay. God hasn't all said it's time to minister right now. Sometimes it's just our daily life that's a ministry. But why are the other reasons that we need to learn to forgive? Okay, so I'm going to go to, let's see which one I want to do first. Matthew six fourteen through 15. Pastor Roy, you didn't have a water bottle up here for me. <laughs> no, I just he had said he was going to put one. I was meant to bring my own, so <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> I didn't think I would need it. All right. <laughs> okay, Matthew six. Let's see if I can find that. Okay, if you, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their 
their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Well, when I first really started searching the word and trying to understand what he was saying, I, that was when I just kind of skipped over because I thought, oh, I'm obviously not understanding that right. That couldn't possibly be what it says. But then as you begin to read his word and you go a little deeper, we can also go to 1 John 2.11. I'm going to read it from here. It says, But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. See, when we have unforgiveness in our heart, whether it's just a little bit or something really, really deep, a wound from the past, we no longer see through clear eyes. When we're looking at people, when we're seeing people, we no longer see them as who God created them to be or just people. What we see is from the past. So if somebody's wounded from me from the past, let's say that I had a pastor that wounded me and I never forgave him. As soon as I see any other pastor in my life, I'm going to automatically start judging them or looking at them and lining them up and weighing them against everything that other one did. If there's, you know, whoever, whatever, you know, we, we hear about it all the time. If there's men in your past that have hurt you or women, we automatically assume that those individuals, without even realizing it, it's not like we sit there and we go, oh, he's a pastor, therefore he must be. You just do it without even realizing it. Any kind of authority. Some of us are so wounded by past authorities, by the fathers in our past or the moms, that any time there's an authority figure, we just automatically either become intimidated or we rise up against them. You know, whatever it is, these responses, and we may not realize it. Like, why? Why do, why do I always get so, you know, aggravated or whatever it may be towards these people? And as you begin to look at the past, you say, I see what it is. We have to forgive. We have to go to those wounds and get healed so that we can see things clearly. Okay, so we're going to look at this a little bit further. Matthew 18, 21. Whenever I bring people into uh, inner healing ministry, the first thing that we go after is forgiveness. And we could spend, depending on how many times I meet with them, Months and months with forgiveness, depending on how deep that wound goes. And almost every issue in life that I look at in my own life, if there's something that I'm responding to negatively, and I I know if I'm responding negatively because the fruit of the Spirit doesn't come out. Anything other than the fruit of the Spirit comes out, and that's when I know that's my balance. It's like, oh, something's there that needs to be dealt with. And I go, and and the first thing I do is, Father, where do I need to forgive? Obviously, there's an offense here that's come. Even if it's a situation and not a person, we still need to forgive and get forgiveness from that. Okay, 18, then I'm going to read 21 through 35. We're going to go through 21 through 35. It says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, wait, no, going back, sorry. We're going to go to number one through nine. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And how often do we feel that way, that we want to be the best? We want to be better than everybody. Whenever I first went back to school, when I was growing up, I had been diagnosed with dyslexia. And uh, it had just became my identity of who I was. 
And God had healed me of so many things. And I was at this, you know, really high on the Lord at that time where I was just on fire, you know, hadn't crashed at that point. And my first, and I went back to school. And my first grade that I brought back was less than perfect. I mean, it wasn't horrible, but I was devastated because it wasn't an A plus. I was so upset. And I was like, why would I be so upset? When I was in high school, I'd just been glad that I passed a class, let alone got a B or whatever it was. And I began to see that pride had set in, spiritual pride. And I thought because I was this superstar Christian and I just knew so much, I thought that I was just going to ace school and go through it and have perfect grades and everything was just going to be perfect. But it wasn't like that at all. I had to really work hard and conquer many things. Pride was the first thing. So there's those moments when we begin to ask those questions. Am I the best? Why aren't people noticing how amazing I am? And we don't, again, we don't even realize sometimes that that's why we're responding in certain ways. But we always want to be right. We always want to be correct. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When I was reading that, I I thought about my kids that, you know, whenever I get upset with them and I yell or do something that I shouldn't do, they immediately forgive me. I mean, within minutes, they forgive me. They wouldn't even think twice about it. And when they get into their own little confrontations with each other, it doesn't matter if they're slapping each other or whatever. They are so fast to forgive. Once the tears are dried and they bounce back up, it's like it never happened. They don't sit there three days from later, you know, later going, oh, well, you did hit me three days ago. And, you know, it's done. It's as if it never happened. That's how our forgiveness should be. And that's part of what Jesus is talking about here. That we need to be like little children where we don't hold on to things, where we humble ourselves and we're not looking and thinking in every response that we do. It says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. When we forgive, it's as if we're forgiven Jesus. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone or a milestone, I'm not sure you say that, were hung around his neck, and this is Jesus speaking, and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offense. That's what Jesus is saying. Woe to the world because of offense. Now, he's talking about, well, and what we could say was, oh, but he's saying when somebody offends me. You know, we they shouldn't be offending me. But what do offended people do? What do hurt people do? What do rejected people do? They go out and reject other people. The minute I'm upset with one child in my house or somebody outside of my house, what did I say? My husband automatically knows. Who offended you now? What's wrong with you? Something's wrong. You were offended because your countenance is wrong. And woe to us who not only offends others, but who is offended because we're going to end up offending somebody else. For offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. 
It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Now, I know that many of us have heard that before. But we don't relate it to offense. What we relate it to is big sin, you know, murder and things like that. But this is talking about offense. Jesus didn't jump to something completely different. He says, woe to the world because of offense. And then he says these things. That's how serious this is. Okay, now we're going to look at 21. It says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. See, it says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts. There has to be a payment for sin. There has to be a payment. Whenever I'm offended, there does need to be a payment for that person to be forgiven. But Jesus already paid the price. So me being angry at them, me holding on to that offense and proving them wrong and showing them how right I was or being angry and constantly thinking about it or telling everybody else how wrong they were. That's me punishing them. That's me saying, oh, Jesus, I know you died on the cross, but I'm going to take care of this one. We got it hands off. He already did it. It says, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. See, offense affects everybody, generation after generation when it's not dealt with. And that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. Released him and forgave him his debt. See, Jesus was moved by compassion for us. He was moved and he paid the price. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred dinar. Jesus, you don't understand. They really hurt me. They were really wrong. They abused me my entire life. They stole from me. They murdered my child. They did what, whatever it is, the deepest and darkest things. That's not big enough. Jesus, your payment isn't big enough. No, no, no. His payment is big enough. Because he died for it all. He already shed his blood for every sin. And he went through it. He himself was murdered. God gave his only son for us. They know what we're going through. They know how hard it is. But that servant went out. Okay, we read that part. And found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred dinar. And he laid hands on him. Means he knocked him out. And took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. 
That's what we do when we don't forgive. We say no. I was forgiven, but you don't deserve it. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. This is so important. It says, and this is Jesus speaking. So my heavenly father will also do to you. If each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother in trespasses. Okay. So he says that whenever we don't forgive, that we're going to be thrown into jail to be tortured by our accusers or by our torturers. So a torturer, I put a jailer. This is some things I looked up. Prison, a building in which people are legally held as punishment for a crime they've committed while awaiting trial. So what we're trying to do when we don't forgive is we're punishing these people. Really, it doesn't have any effect on them. We've all heard that. But this is what we're trying to do. The jailer, a person in charge of a jail or the prison in it. And Jesus said, and his master was angry, delivered him to the torturers until he should pay it all. So the torture would be our jailer. The action, and I put under torture, the action or practice of inflicting severe, severe pain on someone as a punishment or to force them to do or say something or for the pleasure of the person inflicting the pain. So the question is, is who's our jailer? Who is it that's torturing us? If we're being turned over, because that's what Jesus said, it says it clearly here, we're being turned over to our torturer. It doesn't just say your life is going to be difficult. It doesn't even just stop and say that we're not going to be forgiven. It says that we're going to be tortured. Does that mean in hell? It means right now. Ephesians um, 6.12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And Ephesians 4.27 says, Do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give him an opportunity. So what happens, have you ever noticed, whenever you're angry or frustrated, how the thoughts begin to come? And they just go and go and go. And you have conversations, you have arguments, you have fight, you defend yourself, you put them down. It depends on how angry you are. You beat them up. Maybe even have dreams about getting in fights with them. And it just goes and goes and goes. And what is it doing? It's torturing you. It's stealing your peace. It's stealing your joy. It's causing you pain. And that pain can go on to become physical pain, ailments in our bodies. This is the enemy. He's just gained access into our lives. He's just had an open door when we are offended and refuse to forgive. And it, it, we just say, come on. Yeah, I want to agree with you about this person. I want to think about it. I want to think about these things over and over again. And it's not doing anything about that other person. So not only 
do we need to do it so that our Heavenly Father forgives us? We need to forgive so that we can gain peace, so that we can gain joy, so that we can be happy, peaceful people. That's why it's known when I walk in the house and my countenance is, who offended you? My joy is gone. My peace is gone. My ability to get anything done in the day is gone because everything is makes me angry then. I see things through through those eyes. And sometimes it can be little. You know, sometimes we're just... You know, somebody gives me a dirty look. You gotta shake it off. You know, I get this a lot in the grocery store because I'll pause to look at prices and things and several times since I've been here, I've had somebody be behind me and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And they're just like, you know, it's like, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> so I just have to, okay, God, I forgive. And I think of a few choice words I could have said, nope, wouldn't have done any good. It just would have, you know, ended horribly. So I'd move on. But then there's bigger things. We're somebody in the church, and that's where we're going back. And in our home, people that we trust hurts us and says things to us or doesn't do things the way we think they should do them. Maybe they don't do the worship that we think. And, you know, you had suggested a song, and they didn't play it ever. They just completely ignored you. You know, these are things that we take offense to that are so easy for the enemy to bring in when we need to sit there and say, Is this worth me being offended? I need to give this to Jesus because this isn't worth it. This isn't worth the division that Satan wants to bring because once he's brought division in the church, he's won. That's all he has to do. That's what he's done across every denomination. It just splits and splits and splits. And it's because of offenses that have come. It's because of division. And if we're going to be who God has called us to be, which goes back to the beginning, we cannot be offended. We have to be people of peace. We have to be able to forgive. It doesn't even matter if we prove that we're right or wrong. Maybe they should have played the song. Maybe pastor should have preached on the sermon that you thought he should have. But even if they're wrong, we have to forgive. We have to let it go. And we have to let God take care of it. Because that's his job. It's not our job. Our job is to love. Period. Now, you know, I could spend an hour up here on, you know, boundaries and things like that. But that's not what this is about today. And we clearly know the difference between people hurting us over and over again. And knowing that we need to put certain steps up to stop people from hurting us. But even in that, there's people in our lives that we have to be in relationship. We all have somebody in our life that's not saved. We all have that. And that every time we're with them, we have to forgive them. That's radical forgiveness where they say things and it doesn't even phase us. But then again, when it comes to the pastors and leadership and and the sister that I pray with every week or, you know, and I've had this happen recently. This summer had two offenses come and they were very difficult. One was my fault. One was not my fault. Both of them I had to address the same way. And the one that I asked for forgiveness from that was my fault did not want to forgive me. We've been friends for 20 years, and this was the first time we'd ever gotten in, a, in an argument. And I was way off, tried to fix her. And uh, it was wounded. It wounded us. But we pray together every week. And if we would have continued that in that offense, this prayer that we've had together for that for probably five or six years now would have stopped. And it was like eating razor blades to try to deal with this because I didn't want to apologize because I I thought I was right. The words I said were right, but my motivation was wrong. I was trying to fix her. God didn't tell me to fix her. He didn't tell me to go and, co- and correct her. He didn't tell me any of that, but I just took it upon myself to do it. And it opened up a big door of offense.
So I had to repent and I had to swallow my words and I had to say, I'm sorry because I was wrong. Doesn't matter how right I was, I was wrong. And I hope that makes sense to you. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. So one more thing we're going to look at. What if a lot of times in the church, you know, we come into the church or Sunday school or whatever, and we know that we're supposed to forgive. That's kind of like a Christianity 101. Oh, I forgave sister so-and-so. That doesn't bother me. But then the minute we get a chance to tell somebody about it, the minute we get to discuss it a little bit, you know, we really need to pray about this because this situation is going on. And this is something I fall, I still fall prey to this. I still do this sometimes. Not about any of y'all, but. <laughs> but it still happens sometimes. And the minute it does, the Lord convicts me or I get caught. That happens too. Where I, I mean, God just allows me to get caught all the time. The minute I try to do something or not, don't even try, I just do it. Busted every time. Send the text message to the wrong person or whatever. That's happened to me. I meant to send it to this person, but I was talking about this person and, you know, it just gets kind of crazy from there. So, but God forgives <laughs> and so did they. So we've got to really look at our hearts and say, God, I need to know if there's any offense in me because God didn't say you get away with it if you don't know that you haven't forgiven. He didn't say, well, you thought you covered it up and kind of dealt with it. It's okay then. No, it's still there. So we need to ask God if there's anybody in our lives that we need to forgive. And not once. This is something you should be doing every week, if not every morning. Getting up. God, who do I need to forgive today? What did I do yesterday to cause an offense? Who did I judge? And that's a whole other thing right there. But anytime we need to forgive somebody, we've laid judgment on them. And we need to repent for that as well. Because you reap what you sow, and if you judge, you're going to get judged. So right now what I want us to do, let me just pause and make sure. Thank you, Jesus. I wish this wasn't here so I could pray silently. One of the aspects or one of the ways that you need to learn to forgive, and some of us haven't forgiven at all. This may be a brand new concept, but we have lists this long of people that we need to forgive. And let's say that you had, you know, I'm just going to throw something wacky out there, so I'm not hitting any anybody's hearts right now. But let's say that you have a great uncle that was uh, abusive to the whole family. You know, he stole from people, he burned down houses, and, you know, just horrible things. And uh, and so you go to forgive him because the Lord, he, the Lord brings him to mind. God's not going to not bring somebody to your mind if you ask. And you're like, okay, Lord, I, bl- I forgive Uncle Hubert for being such an awful person. Move on. No, 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 no. You got to go to the situations. You gotta say about those situ- God, which situation? So this isn't something you just do in one afternoon. This is something you work through. And as you're working through it, God's grace is gonna keep you until the end. And then there's gonna be more because life happens. But whenever you forgive Uncle Hubert, you need to say, 
God, what is it that you want me to forgive Uncle Hubert for? And you're going to remember conversation that he had in your house where he insulted your mother or he blatantly stole something and said it was hid. You're going to remember his. You're going to remember these things. God's going to bring it to your memory. And you're going to say, Father, I forgive you or I forgive him for 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 saying that to my mom. And then you need to bless the situation. You bless it and you say, God, I bless my mother. I know that she's not truly who Uncle Hubert said she was. I bless her. Father, I thank you that you were there. Always remember that Jesus was there. He's been with us from the beginning. And when we see him in a situation, when we bring him into it, then healing comes. And you see Jesus in that living room. You see him whenever Uncle Hubert was saying that. And you ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you say about that man? And Jesus is going to maybe show you his brokenness. He might show you the things that Uncle Hubert went through to be such a horrible person. And then he's going to help you extend forgiveness. And sometimes it's not that easy. You're going to have to sit there for a while. Or you're going to have to go back the next day and the next day until you can get there. And you might need somebody to walk through it with you, depending on how deep the wounds are. Thank you, Lord. So once you're done doing this, then you just have that time with Jesus and you just bless yourself. You bless the situation. You repent for your judgment. Father, I repent that I ever judged Uncle Hubert. He is your child to deal with. And I am not going to hold on to that judgment anymore. I don't want that judgment reaping and sowing in my life anymore. And you give it to him. And you're done. It's done. He, counselors deal with this stuff. And they will take years and years going over the abuse that Uncle Hubert did. And we're so devastated by it. Session after seven. And sometimes that's good because it teaches us how to deal with life. But the healing from Jesus comes in a moment. In a second, when when you see Jesus there, you know that it's healed. It's done. All right. So, where's Luke? Could you cue the music? <laughs> We're going to do some forgiving now. We're gonna. You're going to take this into your life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I want everybody to start to think, Holy Spirit, I thank you right now that you show everybody somebody or something that they need to forgive. They need, they need to let go, that they need to bring you into the situation, Lord. We all have something. I mean, we got up this morning and drove to work. There's gotta be, or drove to church. There's gotta be something, Lord. But Father, I want to go after those deep things, Lord. I want to go after the, the things that we respond to, Father, that aren't of you, that they're lies that we believed, Father, because somebody told us that from our past or because of a wound that happened from our past. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the counselor, that you are the truth, and that you have come to set these people free. You've come to set us free today, Father. And I thank you that you just begin to speak to each person here. 